The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Welcome Summit Church from wherever you are joining us today. We are so thankful that you are here. We are going to continue one more week of Unify, um, just to tie a bow on things. If you have not had a chance to listen to the three previous messages by Todd, I want to encourage you to do that. We've been talking about this, this desire, this vision to be a church of prayer, connection, and generosity. Um, In order for us as Summit to be that church, you have to be that person. We as staff, we are not just the church, right? We make up a small percentage of the church. You all, however, you all make up a large percentage of the church because you are the church. So some of you have responded really well. You have jumped straight in. You want to know how you can serve, where you can give your time and your talents and your resources. Some of you are still kind of checking things out. You're trying to figure out where you fit, what, what to do next. You're t- at least taking those next steps. But then there's some of you who maybe are just kind of like, yeah, I don't know about this, um, and have maybe taken a, a few steps back. I want to ask you a question today. So whether you have not responded in any way whatsoever, no judgment, or maybe you are still exploring, the question I want to ask is what is keeping you from being a person of prayer, of connection and generosity? Is it fear, which is completely understandable, fear of failure or awkwardness or judgment. Um, Maybe it's a fear of rejection or commitment, discomfort. Um, Is it possibly a lack of trust um, in God or, or in people? Maybe you feel incapable. Maybe you don't feel like you are able to give back to the church in any sort of way, or maybe you feel unworthy. Um, there also could be the possibility of just a little bit of selfishness, right? I mean, that's a little bit of human nature um, for us to be a little selfish and think, "Ah, I don't really want to give up my time um, for this. It could be pride. Um, You know, perhaps it is for you, you don't want to ask for prayer because you just think, ah, I got this. I can handle it. Not a big deal. Or maybe it is, it's a lack of interest, um, or it, it is on, and kind of in that same vein, you don't see the return on your investment. You just think, what, what is this going to get me? How beneficial could this really be? So there could be a lot of reasons as to why you have not stepped fully in. I'm going to take a turn, and, and you'll see in the end how this all kind of fits together. But today, I want to talk about how our love for Jesus empowers us to be the church to be the church of prayer, the church of connection, and the church of generosity. So when we talk about love, um, I wanna clarify something because I I believe that word is completely overused and misused. Culture has um, defiled that word because in the truest form, love is God and God is love. And the Bible gives us a few different words for love, but the two we're gonna look at today is agape and philia. And you may have heard those words before, and you may have not. 
Agape is this God-like love. It's this love that describes how he feels about his creation. It's selfless and it's unconditional. Philia, if you recognize that from Philadelphia, brother of love, brotherly love, um, that really, there's so much more um, richness in that word. Think about it in terms of camaraderie, um, specifically in battle. When you have gone to battle with someone, you've been in the trenches, you've gone through the good times and the hard times, you form this bond that is irreplaceable. There's this affection that comes with all the things that you have experienced together. That is philia. So we're going to be jumping into John chapter 21 today. Before we get there, I want to give you a little bit of context. Um, Leading up to this point, Um, Every verse I'm going to give you is coming from the book of John, although all four of the Gospels talk about Peter in some form or fashion. Um, But we're going to look at his story and see how, um, maybe not all of his story, but we're going to look at these key points that help us better understand this scripture that we're going to discuss. So in chapter one, um, we see that Andrew, that's, that is actually Peter's brother, is with John the Baptist. John sees Jesus and says, there's the Messiah. Andrew is like, oh my goodness, I got to go tell my brother. He runs and he tells Simon. He's like, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And Simon's like, okay, I got to see this for myself. So he goes and he meets Jesus. And the first thing Jesus does is he looks at him and says, Simon, son of John, you will now be called Cephas, which is Aramaic translated in Greek to Peter. The first thing Jesus does in his interaction with Peter is to give him a new name that is so powerful. Tuck that into the back of your mind as we keep going. Fast forward. In chapter 13, Jesus is giving the disciples a new commandment, and that is to love one another. Because it's through our love for one another that we exemplify who Jesus is. And we get to show the world through our love for each other just exactly um, how magnificent the Lord is. A little bit further down after Jesus gives those instructions to love one another as I have loved you, Peter tells Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. Peter is a very passionate disciple. He is also a little bit impulsive as well, but he is dedicated. And so he is telling Jesus, I will lay down my life for you. And Jesus responds, will you? Will you actually lay down your life for me? Because I'm going to tell you something that here in just a a little bit, that you're actually going to deny me three times. And I know John doesn't account for this, but in, in the other gospels, Peter's like, no, I could never do that. And then we see in chapter 17, before Jesus is led to the cross, that Jesus takes a moment to pray over his disciples. He prays for unity. He prays for protection over the enemy. And he prays for sanctification. And that's just a really fancy theological word for being set apart, being made holy. It's this process that we go through as believers to look more like Jesus. And he also prays for future believers. I want you to think for a moment that Jesus, at that point in time, that prayer is also for us. Is that not just 
a beautiful testament to God's love for us, um, Jesus's dedication to us to save us, that he in that moment is praying and we get to benefit from that prayer. And he in that prayer, I would encourage you to go read it because it's absolutely beautiful. He prays for unity between us. He prays that we not only would have unity with each other, um, because that unity displays the relationship between Jesus and God, but that we would also have unity with the triune God, with God the Father, God the Spirit, and God the Son. Because when we do that, we really begin to exemplify who Jesus is and the character of God. We then see Jesus is um, betrayed by Judas. He's arrested. He is taken away. He is, um, while he uh, is standing trial, Peter comes in and all these people, I mean, obviously like there's a lot going on and all these people are, are asking questions and they look at Peter and he was like, hey, you're one of those guys that was with Jesus. And he's like, no, that wasn't me. And he's asked three different times if he was one that associated with Jesus. And every single time he says, no, that wasn't me. And in that moment, the rooster crows and he immediately remembers what Jesus had said. And he goes outside the city gates and, and scripture tells us in a little bit different ways in each gospel that he wept bitterly. I cannot imagine the, the grief and the burden that he felt in that moment where days, weeks before he had said, I will lay down my life for you. And then when the pressure came, when the test came, he denied Jesus, his friend, the person that he had been doing life with and ministry with, that he got to know so closely and intimately. That was his savior. And he said, I wasn't with him. What's interesting is Luke gives this account that when the rooster crowed, that Jesus looked right at Peter. And I think that if that was me, I think I would have just completely lost it. When we see Jesus crucified, laid in the tomb, and then we see Jesus rise from the dead, Mary, if you know the story, Mary is the first one to realize oh my gosh, he is not here. He has risen. She goes and tells um, John and Peter, they take off running. John, of course, gets there first because he's the beloved, um, most loved by Jesus. But Peter is the one that goes in, right? He goes in the tomb. But then we see after this that Jesus appears. He appears to Mary. He appears to the disciples. And actually, this very sweet moment, um, it's accounted for in Luke, um, and it's also accounted for, I believe, in 1 Corinthians by Paul, where um, it, it tells us that Jesus first appeared to Peter. How reassuring must that have been for Peter? Because up until that moment, he was probably very anxious of like, oh my gosh, what have I done? What am I going to do? I mean, Jesus has said, if you deny me, I will deny you in front of the Father. And here I have denied him three times. I can't imagine the stress and the pressure that he must have felt until he got to see his friend and Savior face to face. Jesus appears to um, the disciples and Thomas, and then he appears to seven disciples. And that's where we're going to pick up in chapter 21. 
So after Jesus had appeared to them the first time, um, he had gone away. And so this, the set, these seven disciples were just hanging out probably in the upper room. And, and Peter's like, I'm going to go fishing. Because um, if you reflect back, Peter and his brother Andrew, they were fishermen. That's when they were called from that to go and follow Jesus. And so being this a pastime, Peter's like, let's go fishing. And so the rest of the disciples are like, great, we'll go with you. So this is how John accounts for it. John says, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, James and John, and two other disciples. Like, I don't know who they were. There was two other people there and we were out fishing. So it doesn't matter. So he goes fishing. They, don't, they fish all night. They don't catch anything. They're on their way back and they see this man on the shore. They don't recognize him. But as they get closer, this man says, drop your net to the side. Now, remember, they hadn't caught anything. But they, they're like, all right, drop your net. And then the net fills up with so many fish that the boat begins to turn. And that's when John says, that's the Messiah. So Peter jumps out into the water and swims fiercely and ferociously and, and fastly as hard as he can to get to Jesus. Imagine that it's you seeing a friend that you haven't seen in so long and that you have desperately missed, that you just want to hug them and embrace them and talk to them and just spend time. That must have been what Peter was feeling in that moment. So after they caught all this, all of the fish, Jesus was like, all right, let's have dinner. So they have dinner. And in verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus asked, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. There's so much to unpack here. So many great little nuggets that, the, that scripture has given us to unpack. So how many times did Jesus ask Peter if Peter loved him? Three times. And how many times did Peter deny Jesus? Three times. Not coincidental in the slightest. Now, if you notice, each time Jesus addresses Peter, he calls him Simon, son of John, which is not Cephas, which is most likely what he had called him. Um, he went back to the name that he was before he met Jesus. Now, I don't believe that Jesus was meaning to offend him or degrade him. I, I think more than more than anything, it, it was this reminder for Peter that it's through Jesus, through the authority of Jesus, that he was given the new name. It's a reminder of who he was before he had met Jesus. 
So when, when Jesus asks Peter the first time, do you love me more than these? Okay, well, what does that mean? Who is he referring to? Is it a person or a thing? Or what exactly is this? It could have been his closest friends. I mean, he was with the disciples. Jesus could have said, do you love me more than these friends right here? Do you love me more than your brother, Andrew? And, and as a fisherman, that was a profession prior to you and um, seemed like perhaps a hobby or perhaps it was um, a, 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 an employment opportunity for him. Again, he could have been, Jesus could have been asking, do you love me more than your hobby? Do you love me more than hunting? Do you love me more than football? Do you love me more than fill in the blank with whatever it is you enjoy doing? Or do you love me more than your job? And here's what's an interesting, um, an interesting connection here. It very well could have been him asking about his profession as a fisherman because he addresses him as Simon, son of John, and he was a fisherman prior to that, right? So he could have been, hey, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Are you going to go back to doing what you did before you met me? Are you going to go back and default to that profession, that season, before you met me? The next thing that we notice is that Jesus gives Peter three different directives after he asks him a question. It wasn't necessarily an affirmation. It was like, Okay, you love me, now do this. And he uses the word um, feed or tend twice. And in the Greek, it means to literally give them food, right? Give my people everything they need to grow spiritually. And when he says, he says lamb and he says sheep, when he's talking about the lambs, he's talking about these baby Christians. He's talking about these new believers that are young and, and immature Versus when he's talking about the sheep, he's talking about mature believers. He's talking about people who have, um, had been following him, who had experienced Jesus. And so when he says to take care or in a different translation to shepherd, which also means to feed and tend. So give them food, give them nourishment, give them my word. But what also do we know about a shepherd? We know that Jesus is considered our shepherd and and Paul calls him the chief shepherd. A shepherd watches over the flock. It makes sure that all of them stay in this safe area. If anyone wanders off, the shepherd would go get them and bring them back. He makes sure that they have everything they need, literally just takes care of the flock. And so essentially what Jesus is asking Peter to do is to take care of his church. Take care of the followers that had been with Jesus. Take care of the disciples, the, the ones that, um, the, the people who had been following them then and the ones that would come in the future. We see that Jesus is reinstating Peter to lead the church. And that, that feels too much like a business word to me. And I think that it's better um, explained as Jesus is restoring Peter. He's restoring um, not just his position, but restoring his relationship with Jesus that Peter probably felt was broken. When Jesus is asking Peter, do you love me? And the first two times, Jesus uses that word agape. I mean, he's asking him, do you love me like God 
loves me and, and loves you. And every time Peter responds with the philia love, like I love you because we have this connection that no one else can have. That's the love that I have for you. And so the last time that Jesus asks him, do you love me? He then uses that word, philia. You know, what I think is interesting is that Jesus could have asked Peter any question. He could have asked, do you fear me? Do you honor me? Do you admire me? Do you trust me? Do you believe me now? But instead he said, do you love me? Peter had claimed to love Jesus, right? I mean, he, he told Jesus, I would lay down my life for you. And it's really hard to lay down your life, to have that, that desire to lay down your life for someone if you don't love them. So Peter had proclaimed to love Jesus. And Peter's love and allegiance was tested three times before Jesus' crucifixion. And it was again tested three times after. But I want to remind you that Jesus knew. He knew when he called Peter, Peter, when he first met him. And he knew that Peter would deny him. And yet, he still came to him. He still restored that relationship. Jesus knows our hearts. He wants to make sure that we know our hearts. It's easy for us to say, I love Jesus. That's lip service. But what happens when we get put to the test? So the scripture goes on to talk about, um, I believe, verse 18, it just talks about how Peter was going to suffer. I mean, Jesus is saying, Peter, you love me? Well, guess what? You're going to suffer, you're going to go to jail, and you're going to end up being crucified. And Peter actually is crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same position as his Savior. And so Jesus is saying, okay, you said you love me, you're about to suffer. And then he gives them one last directive and he says, follow me. If you notice, Peter's love for Jesus was birthed out of gratitude. It, it's our gratitude for what Jesus has done that deepens our love for him. It's out of that deep love that that's our motivation to truly follow him. So I want to ask you a question. Why do you love Jesus? What has he done for you? I love Jesus because I have known him in this last year to be my rescuer. That I got to experience him in a way that I never thought that I would, but I am so glad that I did. Um, I was in a pit and he turned to me and he picked me up by that pit and he set me on a firm foundation and he put a new song in my mouth and a hymn of praise to our God and many will come to know him. Psalm 40, that was my verse this whole last year. I love Jesus because of the friend and the comforter and redeemer and rescuer he has been to me. 
So these last three weeks, for some of you, in all honesty, has been a test, right? Not by Summit, okay? Um, us having this desire for our church to be a church of prayer and, and connection, generosity, um, that, that's being a follower of Jesus, but that isn't for us. That, that is for the church to glorify God, to magnify him, to show the world who he is. So I'm going to ask the question a little bit differently than I did in the beginning. In these last three weeks and all these opportunities that you've had to step out, have you denied him? Or have you wholeheartedly professed your love for Jesus? And if so, how are you living for him? As we close today, I want to read part of Jesus' prayer over the future believers in chapter 17. This is in verse 20 through 23. It says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You are loved by God. You have been forgiven. You have been redeemed. You have been chosen. You have a reserved seat in heaven. You, being chosen by God to do the work of God by the power of God, go live like it. So as um, before I pray, what is keeping you from being a person of prayer, connection, and generosity? And I would begin with evaluating, reflecting on your love for the Lord. And in that, reflect on your gratitude for him. And if you're having trouble doing that, think about all of the things that he has done for you. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are thankful for you and for your faithfulness. We are thankful that you never give up on us, that we are never out of your reach, that you are in constant pursuit of us because you desire a relationship with us. And Lord Jesus, I pray that every ear who hears this knows how much you love them. And in turn, Lord Jesus, as they reciprocate that love back to you, Lord, empower them to then live out that love so that others may come to know you in the same way. Lord, we pray all of these things in your name. Amen.